<laughs> what if I told you that you could see into your competitors' souls? You could see their every marketing want and desire. <laughs> Sounds good, right? Well, you can't, but you can analyze their PPC. And this is going to show you how much they're spending, their top priority products or services, the traffic that they most value, and the USPs that they think are most important. So I think in, compared to seeing into their souls, it's a pretty close second. And this is exactly what we're going to do today. The PPC analysis part, not the souls part. Welcome to the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Podcast. Welcome to the show. My name's Tim and I'm Head Ninja at Exposure Ninja. We're a digital marketing agency that helps businesses get more leads and sales from their website. And that is exactly what this show is all about. Now today, we're going to be talking about how to analyze your competitors' PPC. Pay-per-click or search ads or shopping ads or social media ads, a fantastic traffic source for many different types of businesses. No matter what industry you're in, it's likely that there is some social channel or some search channel that your competitors are going to be running ads in and they can provide us a huge amount of really useful information. So today we're going to be analyzing your competitors' ads in three areas. Targeting, so who are they actually running these ads to? The ad creative that they're using, so this is the text, the images, the videos that they're using in their ads, and how much they're spending. Now, not all of the platforms that we're going to analyze are going to give us all of this data, and we are going to be using a tool to help us see some of this as well. We're going to be analyzing four different channels, Google Ads across search and shopping, Facebook slash Insta slash Facebook network, LinkedIn, and TikTok. Now, the nature of this topic is that it is fairly visual in some places. So if you do want to watch the YouTube version of this, then you can head over to the Exposure Ninja YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and then just search for Exposure Ninja and you'll find it. And I'll show you some examples and talk you through the demos on the screen as well. But I'm going to explain everything in the podcast so you can understand it while you're working out or driving or whatever you're doing. Hope you have a great workout, by the way. Um, right, so first thing that we want to do when we're analyzing our competitors' ads, we want to establish whether they're doing a really good job and if they're doing a good job, what can we learn? What can we apply to our own ad campaigns? Or are they just shoveling cash into the sea? Now, hopefully they're just shoveling cash into the sea. Um, but we need to have a bit of a frame of reference when we're analyzing all of these to work out whether what you're seeing is actually good or bad. So I'm also going to give you some examples and demos and tips as we go. Okay, let's start with Google ads then. So Google search or shopping ads, these are often a marketing priority. So seeing what your competitors are up to here and how much they're spending can give you a good read on their marketing overall. Now, I'm going to use a tool to do this analysis. It's SEMrush. If you're a long-time listener, you'll know that I use personally, I use SEMrush a lot. Um, there's a free trial of SEMrush, which you can get at thankyouninjas.com. You can use other PPC tools as well. The reason I use SEMrush is I tend to find the data is pretty accurate um, and I'm used to it and I've used it for years. So uh, we're going to be using SEMrush. Now, I'm also going to be talking you through the process of analyzing a couple of different businesses um, as we go through today. Now, I wanted to find two businesses that were quite contrasting. So the first one that we're going to analyze is HubSpot. So I'm using HubSpot because it's B2B. They generate leads and they sell software. Okay, so that's the first one. And then the second one is going to be Cult Beauty. So this is very B2C. Uh, this is e-commerce and it's beauty products. So two businesses at completely different ends of the spectrum. And we're going to be using them as our examples as we go throughout today so that you can see which channels are going to be most likely to apply to you, depending on whether you're B2B, B2C, e-com, service, lead gen, right? Categorize yourself, choose your own journey. But the principles are always the same, no matter what we're selling. The principles of advertising never, never change. Okay, we want to find the right message to show to the right audience in the right place. That's basically it. Okay, um, so inside SEMrush, there's a section called Advertising Research, and I'm just throwing in HubSpot's URL, HubSpot.com. Now, in this Advertising Research section, I can see 
uh, where they're spending cash, so different locations around the world. Now, in this example, I'm just going to choose the US because this is the place that HubSpot is spending the most. And by the way, if you don't know HubSpot, they're like a CRM company. Um, they sell software that you can put your customers' details into. Uh, if you're like a you know consultative sales business or whatever, there's marketing automation stuff. And they've built out lots of tools on top of this basic CRM, which has made them much more of a sort of even a content platform software as well. So quite a complicated offering, a little bit like Salesforce, I guess, but that's their business. Now they're a US firm and they do spend more in advertising in the US than anywhere else. So that's where we're gonna be analyzing them today. So I throw them into SEMrush, uh, thank you ninjas.com for the free trial there. And immediately what I'm looking at is I'm looking at the targeting. So SEMrush is showing me the different keywords that their ads are being triggered on Google. Okay, so I can see, for example, that when someone types in HubSpot on Google, HubSpot is running an ad for their branded keyword. So I can see all the different uh, keywords that they're running ads to. I can see those positions on Google. So whether they're in position one, this is for ads, not for organic ranking, right? So whether they're in position one, which means they're advertising to be at the top of those listings or like position three, where they'd be in position three, obviously. Uh, position five, where they might be below the fold, they might be at the bottom of the page or whatever, right? So I can see the keyword, I can see the position, I can see uh, a metric for difficulty, which isn't really relevant in this case. And I can see the volume of searches for this phrase that are carried out each month. I can also see cost per click. So how much they're willing to spend to advertise for this phrase on average. Now it doesn't give us exactly what they are spending, but it gives us a good average of what these advertisers are spending. The amount that they are specifically spending will depend on their ad quality score. And I can also see the URL of the page that they are running ads to, so the landing page for their ads. So remember the three areas that we're going to be analyzing today. We're going to be analyzing the targeting, we're going to be analyzing the um, ad creative, and we're going to be analyzing the spend where we can, okay? So firstly, if I'm a competitor to HubSpot, what sorts of keywords are HubSpot targeting? Well, most of the keywords I can see that they're advertising against is actually their brand name. So HubSpot takes up the first two uh, where they're estimated to be spending around about, get this, around about $124,000 a month bidding for their own brand name, okay? A lot of people search for HubSpot to be fair. Now, obviously they might be spending slightly less than that because it's a branded search because it's their own brand name. So their ad quality score is likely to be much higher than competitors, but we can see that they're pumping some cash into their own brand. Nothing unusual about this, by the way, bidding on your brand name makes sense if you're you know, if you're if you're uh, if some of your competitors are also bidding on your brand name. But other than that, we can break their targeting down into three areas. So I can see that they've got some ads for things like um, email signature generators. They've built an email signature generator on their site and they're running ads for people who search for email signatures. I can see they're running ads for social media content calendar. And it looks like they've built a social media content calendar tool on their site. So they've got a section of free tools on their site and they are running ads to these free tools. Now these are lead magnets. So what they want someone to do is search for email signature because they need to put an email signature in, go onto the HubSpot website. There's this ad that says, get your free email signature tool here. You just fill in your details. It gives you an email signature and they get your details in return. So they've got a whole bunch of these different tools that they've created. And what HubSpot wants to do is collect all of the email addresses of the people that need these tools, given that they may potentially be HubSpot customers. Okay, so that's the first uh, category of targeting that I can see just from the keywords that they're running ads to. The second category of keywords that they're running ads to is what I'm going to call tripwire features. So these are features of HubSpot's software that people search for as standalone products. Okay, so say you're searching for meeting scheduler. Well, HubSpot has built a meeting scheduler into 
their product. So people searching for that will go to a page or HubSpot will advertise for meeting scheduler. People will click on that and then they'll go to a page that says, hey, come and use HubSpot's meeting scheduler. Click to start a free trial. And then they're starting a free trial of HubSpot. Same thing for email tracker. So if you want to track where your emails go, HubSpot's built one of these that's included as part of its product. So this is pretty genius for me because this gets people signing up for a free trial of HubSpot and gets them into that funnel. Even if they weren't looking for a CRM, the fact that they have these uh, these features or these tripwire, you know, these little mini tripwires built into their product means that they're kind of absorbing all these people that are searching for different things and pumping them all into HubSpot. So I really like this as a strategy. But anyway, so far we can see two different categories of targeting that HubSpot is using for their Google Ads. We've got the free tools, so signature generator, that type of thing. And then we've got the tripwire features, the stuff that's actually built into HubSpot. And then the final category is more commercial CRM terms. They're advertising for people searching for CRM, which makes sense. That's what they sell. They're also comp uh, advertising for some competitor terms like Zoho CRMs. That's a competitor CRM service. Uh, Wix website. So this is like a website builder and HubSpot has one of those as well. Um, they're actually bidding for Wix.com. So they're actually trying to take traffic from Wix's own website as well. Uh, they're bidding for free CRM. They're running ads for the term free CRM. So we can see they're being pretty aggressive with their targeting. But what we're really learning from this is we're learning the different traffic strategies that this particular business is using. And this podcast isn't an analysis of HubSpot's marketing, but what I'm doing is showing you how you would analyze your competitor because what we're seeing here is we're seeing the different categories of potential customers that they want to target. And we've just looked at this for what, like a couple of minutes and we've identified they break their audience into these four segments. They've got branded, offering free tools, tripwire features and like high commercial intent searches looking for a CRM or one of their competitors. So that's basically their entire search strategy. And we can see that just from the keywords they're advertising against. Really simple. So that's the first thing you do. Have a look at the keywords that your competitors are targeting in search. Okay, the next thing that we need to do once we've identified the targeting that they're using is have a look at their ad creative. So this is the text that they're using in their search ads. And the reason that we're looking at this is this will tell us all sorts of information about which USPs they think are most important, the key messages that they've identified that are working best. Now, if you're going to learn from anyone about which key messages and which USPs are going to work best to attract people onto their website, you want to choose someone who is spending a lot of money and seems to be doing a reasonably good job of their digital marketing. What you don't want to do here is if you're like a small town legal firm and you find one of your competitors and they're advertising for all sorts of total rubbish and they've got these terrible ads and you're like, well, they're using this ad copy. You don't want to copy that. You want to find the biggest, most successful law firm in the world that you possibly can, who is doing great digital marketing, not someone who's just shoveling cash into the sea, but who's doing great digital marketing. And you want to copy the language or the USPs that they are using. Okay. So be careful who you copy from here. But anyway, now in SEMrush, you can see the ad creative that the advertiser is using by hovering over this little green button. Again, you can watch this on YouTube if you're that way inclined. I can see, for example, on their brand name that the ad copy says grow traffic, convert leads, close deals and turn customers into promoters. Okay, so those are basically the categories of things that they think their audience wants to do. Learn how new marketing sales or service tools can grow your business. Okay, so they feel like there's like an analytics piece, which is quite important to their customers. Uh, global support. Okay, they clearly feel that that's an important uh, USP or feature. All on one, all on one software. I don't think that makes any all in one. I think that's supposed to be uh, no hassle integrations works with any website. So we can see that we've got some objection handling in there. Things like works with any website. What they're trying to do is remove a potential objection that someone might have, which is I don't want my website to be built in HubSpot. Well, they're saying, well, no, this works with any website. They're also talking about integration. So clearly they think that's an important feature. So if I'm competing against them and I have some of these features myself, I might want to test those in my ads. Now we can also see that HubSpot uses some disqualification in its ad copy. 
For example, things like uh, free email signature, right? So if you search for email signature examples, then HubSpot in, in the US, then HubSpot will be showing you an ad that says free email signature generator. Now, a lot of this traffic is going to be total rubbish, right? People searching for free email signature or email signature generator might be just, you know, it might be your mum or someone and she wants to put a picture of you in her email signature when she's emailing her friends from church or whatever, which is totally cool. But HubSpot doesn't want to pay for that traffic because there's no way that your mum is going to sign up for HubSpot to manage a relationship with the church friends. So what HubSpot is doing is they're trying to disqualify some of this traffic. So for example, in the ad for the free email signature generator, they say use this free tool to build a remarkable email signature for your team. Okay, for your team. So your mum's going to look at that and think, well, no, I don't really have a team, so I don't think this is for me. Bingo. So she hasn't just used up one of HubSpot's cost per clicks for making the email signature with your face on. Great. Not that the world wouldn't be a better place if your face was in everyone's email signatures, but you see what we mean. So HubSpot is trying to filter out traffic, which doesn't it is unlikely to have commercial intent, which is unlikely to become a HubSpot customer. So you can use that sort of disqualification in your ads as well. There's other examples as well, but this is a common strategy that they'll use. So they'll bid on a quite competitive and very broad keyword, and they'll run an ad for this. They'll sell it hard in the ad copy. They'll make it sound really amazing, but they'll throw in something which indicates that, you know what, this might not be for you, like the team type thing. Uh, right. We also want to have a look at where they're driving traffic to in their ad creative. So for example, HubSpot is bidding on one of their competitors brand names, Zoho. Um, but what they don't do is a lot of businesses in this situation, particularly SaaS companies, would drive that traffic to a page, which is like Zoho versus HubSpot. And they'd have a side-by-side -side comparison of the two platforms explaining why theirs is so much better. HubSpot does not do this. They drive you straight to, it's a, just a page which is all about the CRM, which is kind of interesting. I don't know if they've done this intentionally, if they've tested the alternative, they don't want to pick fights or whatever, but usually that would work less well than something where you're being a bit more overt to say, ah, you want to choose us because Zoho is buggy or slow or, you know, whatever. Uh, people rate us more highly for customer satisfaction, whatever. Usually you want to sell against the competitor if you're going to bid on their brand names. But yeah, interesting that they haven't done that. Okay, so you also want to have a look to see if your competitor's landing pages are what we call intent matched. So does the intent of the keyword match the intent of the landing page? For example, let's say that I was searching for a phrase like free email signature, and I land on a page which is all about, hey, here's what an email signature is. Well, that doesn't really match the intent because my intent would be if I'm searching for free email signature, I don't want a definition of an email signature. I want a tool or I want instructions on how to make an email signature. Most of the time, a phrase that you bid on, it's fairly clear what the intent is and you'll drive people through to a landing page, which again, it's very clear what the intent is and it's very rare that those things wouldn't match. Let's say that you're a dentist, for example, and you're, uh, you're bidding on a phrase like um, Invisalign Dentist London and you send people through to the Invisalign page on your site. Pretty obvious that, you know, that intent is going to match. But what you might not do is uh, drive them through to a page which is all about the benefits of Invisalign versus something else, right? Invisalign versus Smile Direct Club, because that might not match the intent, because the intent is actually to find a supplier, to, prov to find a provider for this service. So we need to make sure that when we're analyzing the ad creative, we're also looking to see that there is this intent match. Okay, so we've had a look at the targeting, the keywords that they're using. We've had a look at the ad creative, the words and the copy that they're using and the USPs that they're focusing on. Now we can also have a look at their spend. Now, SEMrush will show us exactly how much on estimate they're, uh, they're spending to advertise for each keyword and how their total spend has changed over time. This can be really instructive when we're analyzing a business's competitors. If we notice, for example, that their spending has gone up and 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 up, and then all of a sudden it's massively dropped down, well, it can be quite interesting to go and have a look at when it was really high and when it was really low. What are the keywords? What are the ads that they've changed? 
So have they tested a whole bunch of stuff and they've given it like six months and it hasn't worked and they've cut the spend down? If so, what you don't want to do is go and copy the stuff that they were running just before they cut it. So you can see by analyzing how their ad targeting has changed over time, the keywords that they're using, whether their copy has changed, you can begin to piece together what are they learning about pay-per-click through the spend that they're making. Now we can see, for example, with HubSpot that they're actually spending quite a lot of money on this email signature thing. So they've built this email signature tool on their website to use as a lead generator. And you might think, well, that's a pretty roundabout way of getting customers for a CRM, right? Why don't you just advertise for CRM because then it's people actually looking for a CRM. But here's the thing, advertising for a CRM will cost you about $14 per click. So every time someone clicks on an ad after searching for CRM, you'll on average spend about $14, which is quite high. Well, let's say you've got a conversion rate to a lead of maybe 5%, and then of that, you've got a conversion rate to a customer of maybe 10%, okay? So you might be at a total of 0.5% uh, conversion rate on that full funnel. So you might be spending, oh, public maths, 200, times $14.19 to get each new customer for your CRM, which is quite a lot of money. You might be spending $2,000. I think this is right. You should never do public maths, right? But you might be spending like $2,800 to get each new customer for your CRM, and that might be really painful. So what if instead you identified that people searching for an email signature, a certain percentage of them may become a lead. They may become a CRM customer. Let's say that percentage was really low, but this traffic was also really cheap. So it's about seventh the cost advertising for someone who's looking for email signature. So you could spend, let's say you spent 50K to build the email signature generating tool, but then you might be saving 20K a month on ad costs by being able to drive traffic to the email signature keyword rather than the CRM keyword. Does that make sense? So they're spending money in building these lead generation assets rather than spending money on the highest commercial intent keywords. Even if they don't get as good a conversion rate from the the, you know, the informational, the, the tool keywords, they still might end up net positive uh, with their investment to ROI because these clicks are so much cheaper. Hope that makes sense. Okay, right, so obviously this B2B example, they're focusing on generating leads. Exactly the same principle applies for e-com. So I mentioned that we're also gonna have a look at Cult Beauty. So Cult Beauty, if you don't know Cult Beauty, they are an e-commerce brand that are owned by the Hut Group, THG, uh, which is a UK-based e-commerce sort of group. I guess we've analyzed them in previous videos. They own stuff like uh, MyProtein as well. Um, anyway, bit of an e-commerce powerhouse. Now, we know uh, from analyzing the advertising research for Cult Beauty, which you can, again, I've just stuck in cultbeauty.co.uk into SEMrush and I'm having a look through here. I can see from their targeting, remember the three things, targeting, ad creative, and spend. I can see from their targeting that they are incredibly aggressive, incredibly aggressive. They are bidding on their makeup brands like Charlotte Tilbury. They are bidding for Charlotte Tilbury's own brand name and they're outranking in ads Charlotte Tilbury's own website. So they are spending heavy on these terms and they're being really aggressive with loads of different brands that they sell. Ranking position one or two in the ad columns for things like NARS, Paula's Choice, The Ordinary. Like these are drunk elephant these are beauty brands that themselves spend a fair amount of money marketing so the fact that thg is just like trying to be the 10 ton gorilla and sit on all of them and take all of their traffic shows how aggressive they really are with this they're being very aggressive on customer acquisition so we can see just from you know just from seeing these few keywords i can tell you that they are spending really heavily on this new customer acquisition spending a lot to get each customer for the first time which means they either don't know what they're doing and they're plowing into the ground at a million miles an hour, or they have a very strong back end. They're able to monetize these customers well because they're likely to be losing a fair amount of money on the first sale. 
But if they're able to monetize that customer by selling them other things or selling them stuff across other hut group properties, maybe they're able to make that make financial sense. So you can tell that sort of stuff by looking at how aggressive your competitors are being if you're in e-commerce and they're bidding on brand names. We can also have a look at their shopping ads as well. There's a section under uh, advertising research for PLA research in SEMrush, and this will show us the particular products that, um, that your uh, e-com competitors are advertising, um, how much on average they're spending um, in these areas as well. So we can see, for example, that Search for Charlotte Tilbury brings up um, ads and we can see the, the products that are being shown and how much they're being charged for in the landing pages of these as well. Now, the targeting for a lot of this stuff is, you know, it's pretty algorithmic. So you're just uploading your product feed and you're adding negative keywords and you might be taking out products that aren't performing well. So you don't get as much information from this about the strategy behind their, um, their advertising as you do when you're analyzing the text search. But even so, you can see the brand names that they're happy to bid for. And again, how aggressive they're being with their budgeting, which is based on, uh, you know, their position, how far up, uh, how, you know, whether position one or position 51. Well, that tells you how aggressive they're willing to be with their bidding uh, for these Google shopping ads. Okay, so that's search. We've had a look at, well, that's Google that we've had a look at search and shopping. Um, let's now move over to analyzing Facebook and Instagram ads. So most businesses will either be like a search priority or there'll be a social priority. So search priority usually is if people are searching for what you do. If you're like an injury, personal injury lawyer, then, um, you know, people are going to be searching for that. They're not necessarily going on Facebook and all of a sudden up comes an ad that says, you know, if you've just been crushed by a school bus, if so, click here to get your compensation because the chances of that school bus crush happening <laughs> is fairly small. Um, but they might be searching for like school bus personal injury lawyer, right? So you either search or your social priority. A lot of businesses, of course, will have both and they'll use Facebook and Insta for, you know, retargeting or whatever, but you'll usually have one avenue or the other, which makes more sense for you. So let's have a look at Facebook and Instagram ads. Um, the best way to do competitor analysis on Facebook and Instagram ads, you can either go to your competitors pages and then click to see their ads. But actually, I prefer to just go straight to the ad library. So Facebook or Meta has um, an ad library where you can see all of the ads that any organization, any page on Facebook is running. So if you go to facebook.com forward slash ads forward slash library, you'll get to this ad library. What it allows you to do is you can stick in your location, you choose your ad category. So whether you're looking for ads uh, that are political or whether you're just looking for, you know, regular ads. Once you've chosen your ad category, you put in the page name. So if, for example, if we had a look at cult beauty, I just go United Kingdom, I'd, uh, my ad category would be all ads and I'd just search and I'd put cult beauty in and I would see all of the ads that, that, that are currently live. Now there's loads and loads of really interesting info here. We don't get targeting with Facebook, as in we can't see how Facebook is targeting people, okay? Even some of these advertisers won't know how Facebook is targeting people because it'll be all using audiences that they won't have visibility in. It'll be um, algorithmic. But we can often make assessments about the targeting based on some of the creative. So if I'm analyzing cult beauty, um, now the first thing I can see is I can see they're running ads for you know particular brands and particular products. And by having a look at the ad copy, I can make some judgments about how these ads are being targeted. For example, if I'm seeing a specific product, well, I might think, well, that's like a retargeting ad. But then I see that the copy is, find your next beauty favorite from our hand-picked edit of world-worshipped brands. So either they are running these ads to people that have purchased previously. This might be like a, a, you know, a restock sequence that they're running. So after 30 days, if they know that on average people repurchase every 35 days, for example, they might start running ads after 30 days saying, find your next favorite and showing the product that people have seen before. Or they might be uh, running, you know, instant retargeting ads if someone's been on a particular product page and then they might run ads to, you know, showing that product. 
So you can start to make some assessment about how they're going to be targeting. If it's cold traffic, they'll typically run an ad which is much broader, right? It's not going to be something like find your next beauty favorite from our handpicked edit of World Worship's brands and then show you a particular product. That's not going to be a new customer acquisition. Down here, I can see right at the bottom, launched in April. So I'm recording this at the end of June and I can see they launched an ad campaign in April with some creative that says, enjoy 15% off your first haul with code CBSOCIAL15 and discover the best-selling beauty heroes. So what I can judge from this is that this is a retargeting ad on new customers. Okay, it's, it must be it's either a retargeting ad for new customers or it's a, uh, a you know a cold prospecting ad to people who may never have seen cult beauty before. But the fact that they're showing specific products makes me think that this is a retargeting ad. So if someone has been on the site, they've seen these products, and then cult beauty is following up with them on Facebook. If they don't already have an account to say enjoy 15% off your first haul, and then it's giving them a discount code to get them back on. So I can begin to work out their retargeting strategy and how they're segmenting their customers. Clearly we have people who've never been on the site before or who, who don't have an account but have been on the site and they are being filtered out and being shown one set of ads. Now the fact that this ad has been running for now almost three months also tells me that this ad seems to be doing well. Okay, because otherwise they've got a fairly high turnover of ad creative, looks like they're launching new ads every few days or so. So the fact that this one is like the only one that's almost three months old tells me that something about it is likely to be working. So if I was going to copy anything, I'd copy something that's been there for a long time. Sometimes we'll call this a control, right? It's an ad that, you know, you just keep going for months and months and months and it's just always there and it's always consistently performing and you can rely on it. That's your control. That's the, the basis of your campaigns. Um, okay, so we can see that and we can see that the uh, the call to action, the, the you know, the, the thing that the ads are driving you to do is purchase. Very, very heavily driven towards purchasing. Almost all of the CTAs in these ads are shop now. There are some learn mores as well, but mostly it is shop now and it's very, very transactional. Now, what I don't get from any of this, if we start thinking about the ad creative, what I don't get from any of the ads that Cult Beauty are running is any sense of why anybody should buy from them rather than a competitor. So I don't get the sense that they're clear on their USPs at all, which is interesting because if I'm competing with someone and I don't see any USPs in their ads, that makes me think, well, I could stand out against this by just thinking, why would somebody buy from me rather than them? Because if I can use that in my creative, I'm going to outperform this because there's absolutely no reason why, I why someone would buy from this business unless the product was the thing that they wanted and the price happened to be the best or because they've given them a voucher code, which is a very dangerous way to you know, set your USP is that we're the business that always discounts. I can also see from their ad creative, whether they're being you know, imaginative, whether they're using video content or just images, typically video content will perform better, whether that video content is like user-generated UGC style. So whether it looks like someone who's just made a video and popped it on Facebook themselves or whether it looks polished and professional. Often the UGC stuff, despite being easy to make, will outperform because it doesn't look like an ad when people are scrolling on Facebook. That's the sort of stuff that they're used to seeing. So often that stuff can perform well. So if I'm seeing a competitor doing that and I'm seeing that they're doing that a lot and this is, you know, they've been running ads in that style for a long time, I'm thinking, okay, that might be something that I want to take and I want to adapt for myself. As for how much they are spending on ads, we don't get any idea from Facebook. Sometimes you go into the ad library and Facebook actually does show you on average like how much this ad has spent or how much this particular campaign has spent. And that's really interesting, but it's not there for every business and it's not here for cult beauty. What you can do though is you can make some assessments based on how much they're likely to be investing in their ad creative. So I can see that Cult Beauty really doesn't seem to be spending that much on ad creative. I know that they've got an in-house ad creative studio at THG, so I think that they would be doing a bit more than they are. So the fact that they're not is kind of interesting to me. I don't know why that is though. But you can analyze, you know, is your competitor running these amazing video ads and they're spending loads of money on them and they've been doing this for a long time? If so, 
clearly they're going to be piling some cash into Facebook. Even if you can't see the targeting, even if you can't see the total spend, the fact that they are spending heavily on creative indicates that they are spending heavily on this as a whole. Whereas Converse, you know, if they've just got some really rubbish little photos that they got from a stock photo website or, you know, something that just looks really terrible, I'm not talking about UGC, I mean just stuff that looks really basic and is never going to stop a scroll, then it's unlikely that they're going to be spending heavily on Facebook unless, you know, they don't know what they're doing. Okay, the, the only other thing I would say on Facebook and Meta before we, uh, before we move on is if you're a charity or political cause, and you're having a look at your competitors, you actually get a lot more data. So you can download a report which shows you advertisers in this space, and you can get lots more information. You can get information about spend uh, and how spend has changed over time and particular ads and stuff like that. So that can be really interesting. For example, I can see in the last uh, seven days that the WWF in the UK, that's the World Wildlife Federation, not the wrestling sweaty dudes. They've spent £6,572 on Facebook in the last seven days uh, running 104 ads, okay? So you get really granular detail for charities and political organisations. So if you're in that space, you can gorge on competitor analysis info. Of course, knowing that when you yourself spend, your competitors are going to be gorging on your info as well. But there you go. Okay. And by the way, if you're enjoying this podcast, the team here at Exposure Ninja, we have a free service called the Free Website and Marketing Review, and it's absolutely juicy. Um, so what we do is we analyze your website, your digital marketing, and we prioritize the things that we think you should be working on based on where your competitors are at. So we'll take a look at your ad work as well. We'll have a look at how you're advertising, if you're using any of these channels, and we'll make some recommendations for how you can improve the ROI of these campaigns. This service is completely free. All you need to do is go to ExposureNinja.com forward slash review, fill in a bit of info about your business, and usually we'll send your video to you. Usually within two to three working days, it's freaking amazing. So go to ExposureNinja.com forward slash review to request your free website and marketing review today. Alrighty, let's get stuck into LinkedIn ads then. So not a lot of people focus on LinkedIn ads. A lot of people were burnt in the early days of LinkedIn um, with very high CPCs, pretty rubbish targeting and just generally pretty poor results. But LinkedIn ads, actually, we find them to be some really productive uh, ad types for some of our clients. Obviously, it's going to suit people that are, you know, a bit more B2B focused. You've got to think about what sort of mindset someone is in when they're on any of these, um, you know, the, these platforms. If you're on Facebook, are you in the mindset for like buying funeral care? Probably not. This is something that you go and look at on Google when you've just met with your life insurance person who says, by the way, have you thought about the fact that you're going to die? Right. So you got to think about the mindset of the people who are in, you know, who are on that platform. And if I'm on LinkedIn, I'm in work mode. So I'm most, much more likely to respond to work focused ads than I am like this cool sticky drone thing that you can throw on your ceiling and it sticks. Right. That's not typically the sort of thing that you'd want to run on LinkedIn. So the great thing about LinkedIn is that you can target people in particular companies or particular job sectors and titles. So that's what's good about it. So the best way to analyze your competitors ads on LinkedIn is to go to their company page. So if I'm analyzing HubSpot on their profile page, you can click posts. And then from there, you choose the little ads bubble and it shows you all the ads that they're running. OK, really, really straightforward. Now, if we think about our three areas that we're analyzing, we're analyzing the targeting, the ad creative and the spend a little bit like Facebook. We don't get any info about the targeting on LinkedIn. OK, we can't see why LinkedIn is targeting uh, or sorry, who LinkedIn is targeting with these particular ads. We also can't see how much they're spending. We can make a judgment based on how much they're likely to be spending on the ad creative. But ad creative is a little bit different on LinkedIn in that people tend to read words more, tends to be a little bit more text focused. So often you'll see an advertiser write a little bit longer caption or a little bit longer post than they might on some of these other platforms. But we can see the ad creative, obviously. We can see the sorts of ads that they're running and we can make a judgment about who they are targeting. So for example, on HubSpot, uh, they have an Instagram cheat sheet and it says, learn how to get followers, build your audience, set goals and measure success. 
how to use Instagram for businesses. So we would expect that that'll be targeted at, say, social media marketing managers, right? Or marketing managers or, you know, someone who's going to be using Instagram for work. So we can start to build up a bit of a picture of the strategy they're going to be using based on the messages that they are sharing. We can also see they're using LinkedIn for recruitment ads as well. So they talk about, are you looking to get a job in this? Do you want to come and work at exciting business? That type of thing. So the fact they're using it for recruitment, if we scroll down, we see lots of ads in that space then we can make an assessment that, okay, this must be working reasonably well for them. We can also see that they are promoting, remember those tripwire product features, things like the, the meeting scheduler or the email tracker. We can also see that they're using those as well as things like uh, reports on marketing evolution. We've got these broad sort of categories of things. We've got this lead gen stuff based on tripwire products and tripwire downloadable type stuff. And then we've got recruitment as well. Now the um, creative that they're using, high production value, it looks good. They're not using much video, it's all images. So again, you're looking at, uh, is this like user-generated content type, rough and ready and raw front-facing camera stuff, or is it high-quality, high-production stuff? That can be interesting and it can tell you a little bit about what they've found to be most successful. Like I said earlier, the copy tends to be a little bit higher priority on LinkedIn over Facebook. On Facebook, the scroll speed is pretty high, right? When you're scrolling Facebook, you're swiping through a whole bunch of stuff. Same on Instagram. Watch someone using Instagram. Very, very little time between each post. They're making judgments based on the image in that post. Whereas on LinkedIn, we're much more used to reading you scroll much slower on LinkedIn. A lot of posts are very text heavy. It's almost Twitter-esque in its priority of text. So therefore we would expect ads with more text to generate more engagement than they would say on Instagram. You don't wanna rely on people reading a long caption, whereas on, um, on LinkedIn, they're much more likely to do. So that's LinkedIn. You can uh, go to your competitors pages, click posts and click ads and you'll see all their ads. And then you can start making some assessments and joining up the dots to see how they're gonna be targeting and what sort of strategies they're running. Now, the final uh, ad channel that we're gonna be looking at for competitor analysis is TikTok. My recommendation for running TikTok competitor analysis is taking a totally different approach. And here's why. You can't do competitor PPC research on TikTok in the same way. This is because so few advertisers are using TikTok and doing it well, that it can be very difficult unless you're in a space where TikTok ads are very, very popular, it can be very difficult to find a competitor that is using TikTok ads. So here's how I would suggest uh, doing competitor ad analysis on TikTok. They've got a creative center. So if you go to ads.tiktok.com forward slash business forward slash creative center forward slash inspiration. I hate it when people read URLs over podcasts, but here we go. Ads.tiktok.com forward slash business forward slash creative center, forward slash inspiration, you'll find the top ads. So TikTok shares examples of the creative that is working best as ads. And you can kind of filter this to find the most relevant ads to your business. So you first thing that you do is you choose your location. A good idea to choose the location that you're actually in for this one. So if I'm in the UK, I'm searching for ads in the United Kingdom. If I'm in US, then obviously US. The reason for this is there are regional differences and you don't want to necessarily, I mean, obviously you want to do competitor research for lots of relevant competitors. Some of them might be overseas, but on the whole, you want to model what's working best for the audience in your geography. So you choose your location, you then choose your industry. Now there are broad industry categories. For example, if you're a clothing firm, you might choose apparel and accessories. Now you could go down to something like uh, women's clothing or high-end jewelry. You could go into a subcategory but often you'll want to stay at the real top level category because in a lot of these sub-categories, sub there won't be a huge amount of ads to choose from. I mean, probably apparel and accessories is a bad example there because there will be, but for a lot of these subcategories, there are very few ads. If you're targeting entrepreneurship, for example, there are very few ads in that category. So you want to be a level above that, which might be business service. 
So you want to see all of the ads inside business service. Now, rather than um, rather than having a look for specific competitors, what I would spend the time doing here is kind of calibrating yourself with what top performing ads look like. TikTok is a very different language for most businesses to speak. You can't just get really good at Instagram ads and then immediately take that skill set over to TikTok. You need to be very native. You need to come across as a TikTok native. And if you spend time sort of programming your inner AI with the sort of ad creative that works well on TikTok, you'll see that the ad creative matches successful TikToks. What we're talking about here is it's very snappy. You've got a very small amount of time. You've got um, usually a user-generated content style. So the ad creative actually doesn't feel like an ad or it doesn't look like an ad initially. It's not filmed in a high-end studio. It's like filmed by someone's phone and they've used the TikTok words over it and it's all TikTok style, right? So it looks like UGC. And you'll notice that they start with some sort of hook often as well. Usually the setup, the image is a little bit different or it's weird. You'll very rarely find, um, you know, just like a generic corporate video person talking because it immediately looks corporate and it immediately looks like it doesn't really fit in. So the ad creative in all the highest performing ads, it just feels like TikTok. Now, one of the things I'd say about TikTok is before you create any ad creative, you want to spend some time really getting in the mindset of a TikTok user. You know, people have extremely short attention spans on TikTok, very, very fast paced. In fact, if you have a look at TikTok search volume, people search for is TikTok ruining my brain on Google and that is trending up. Okay, people are aware that their attention spans are shortening as a result of spending time on TikTok. So as advertisers, we need to be able to uh, play into this. Uh, some funny story, Jessica Griffin, who's a uh, associate professor of psychiatry and pediatrics at University of Massachusetts. She said, if you're watching TikTok for long periods of time, it may lead to problems with attention, concentration and short term memory. Okay, so TikTok, when people are searching is TikTok ruining my brain, the answer is yes. So we need to make our ad creative optimized for people whose brains have been ruined by TikTok and their attention span is like a nanosecond. So we need to make sure we're getting straight to the point, use a hook at the start, some sort of weird or unusual visual setup that makes people linger for just long enough so that, that we can get through the hook. And then you need to be very snappy in your delivery. So, right, you've got your location that you wanna search for, you've got your industry. You can also filter the ads by campaign objective. So if, for example, you're trying to run ads that generate conversions, you can filter the ads that you're looking at, that you're studying by ads that are just designed to generate conversions. Now, this might seem like a really good idea because of course, if you want to, if you want to generate conversions, you need to know how other people are generating conversions. But there is a word of caution on this. Just because you want to generate conversions doesn't mean that the conversion focused ads might actually be the best source of inspiration for you. So what I would start by doing is not having any campaign objective at all and looking at what campaign objective people in your industry are using. Are they actually targeting conversions? Do TikTok advertisers in your space actually want to generate conversions? Or are they all targeting, they just wanna get traffic, for example? Because you can learn stuff here, that maybe they've tested loads of stuff and they found that actually they can get much better reach if they're targeting traffic. Or let's say that they're actually all really early stages in their ad journey, they haven't educated TikTok about what sort of audience to run ads to, so they have to target traffic to get lots of visibility and then they'll be running conversion campaigns later on. If you're going to copy a conversion focused ad, what I would tend to do is find one that has a lot of views. So if you click on any individual ad, you can see, you can't see the number of views, but you can see the number of likes and engagements. And that's obviously a proxy for views. If, if you know, if a video's had 100,000 likes, then you can be fairly certain that this video ad has been running for a little while, so you're okay to copy it. If it's had 13 likes, well, you might not be so certain in copying it because it could be completely unproven. They might just be about to kill it because it's the worst performing thing they've ever done. 
So you want to be careful about what you copy. If you're going to be advertising on TikTok, if you want to analyze uh, what's going really well in your space on TikTok, we're going to make more podcasts about TikTok ads because it really, really is fascinating. And I think there's a lot to be learned that we can apply to other ad platforms as well. But if this is your vibe, I would spend some serious time going through the Creative Center and learning what is working well across all sorts of industries here and learn and taking those lessons so that you can apply them to your TikTok ad creative. So there you have it. We've looked at four different ad channels. We've looked at Google, Facebook, Insta, that whole vibe. And we've looked at LinkedIn ads and we've looked at TikTok, how to analyze your competitors across the targeting that they're using, the ad creative that they're using. And I've given you some tips on each one. And then lastly, the spend, which isn't available on every channel, but for the ones that it is, it can be very useful and very interesting. So I hope you found this podcast useful. If you have, please don't forget to give us a review. We absolutely love reading the reviews. Uh, click subscribe or follow or you know whatever the CTA is on the podcast platform that you're on. And I'll see you next week.